you guys ever been watching a movie, and at some point in the movie, it gets really sad or uh, really tense or really scary, and then your heart rate goes up, and you're like, it's, it's really hard to pay attention to this movie right now. Like, oh, like, well, you're just like, what's going to happen? Is my favorite character going to make it to the end? Is this sad thing? Is there going to be a better ending? Like, oh, and your heart's beating, I'm talking about. Has it happened to you before? Yeah? Well, uh, it's, it's hard in that moment to like, keep watching because you're just so distracted and you're thinking like, oh, no, how's it going to end? Oh, no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is anybody just going to admit right now that you have pulled out your phone or something like that and you've Googled the ending to a movie or a show while it was happening. Yeah, you've done that before? Yeah? Well, I'm just going to... This, this is I don't know why you do that because that's called a spoiler and spoilers are not fun. I don't get it, right? But I kind of actually do get it, right? It's because you know that uh, if you find out the ending, it will ease your mind and it will calm you down to where you can just relax and watch the movie and just know what's going to happen. Like you just, you just know, okay, my favorite character is going to make it. He's not going to make it. Or it's, this is going to happen. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. Whatever. You just are prepared for the ending. So you're not freaking out during the movie. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, uh, look, we're finishing this series called how to suffer well from first Peter three today. And it's been all about what do we do? How do we handle ourselves? How do we live whenever we're having a hard time? Whenever people are making fun of us because of our faith in Christ, whenever people are making our lives hard, just whenever we're facing difficulties, what do we do? How do we live? What should we be doing? All right? So I want you to open your Bibles to the First Peter chapter 3. All right? We're going to finish uh, reading it in verse 18 today. Um, but <clears throat> look, the reason, and when you're watching this movie, that you uh, are inclined where you want to just find out the ending is just so it makes it easier in the moment to watch through the hard time of the movie, right? The, the tense, the difficult, whatever. If you know the ending, it's going to make it easier to pay attention. You're not going to be as freaked out about what's going to happen, right? Well, Peter, he's given us lots of good advice on what to do when we face hard times. He's given us lots of practical things to do, like we have to just keep trusting in Jesus, and, and we just have to keep looking to him, and all these things. But look, the main piece of advice that Peter gives us today is this. Christians, we know how it ends. We know how this world will end. We know what the ending is. And we know that when God says it's time to be done, that he has the victory. That he wins. That he wins against evil. And so Peter's saying, listen to this, pay attention to this, and that way, whenever you are going through difficulties, you don't have to be worried about, oh no, what's the outcome, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. You can just say, it's okay that I'm going through this because I know the end. I know that God will always win, that God's ways always prevail, that good always beats evil in this sense, that God will have the victory. So when we are struggling, when we're going through something difficult, when we are being made fun of by others because of our faith in Jesus, we need to remember a couple things. First of all, we need to remember that Jesus is in control. He's in control. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And we need to remember that Jesus has already won against evil. He has already won the battle against Satan. He wins. All right, so look with me now. First Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 18, here's what it says. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right? So look, you got to see this. Peter's trying to get us to pay attention to this main thing. You need to always trust in Christ. Always trust in Jesus because he rules. He reigns over all things, and this includes sin. This includes death. Jesus rules and reigns over all things, and because of that, we can trust him all the time. Right? So we keep trusting Jesus when life is hard. We keep trusting Jesus when we're having a hard time because he's in charge of everything. Not even sin, not evil, not, not even death has authority over Jesus. He has the victory over everything. He has the victory so he can always be trusted no matter how hard life gets. Alright, so look in our verses today, Peter starts off by recounting the gospel message. Verse 18, he just tells us what happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened there. So here's point number one. Find forgiveness in Christ's triumph over sin. Find forgiveness in Christ's triumph over sin. I know that word triumph, you've probably heard it before, but I'm assuming it's not a word that you use every day in your normal vocabulary. That word triumph, it means great victory. That you have had a great victory. And so what the Bible is telling us is that Christ is triumphing. He has the great victory over sin, over death, over hell, over Satan. He has won the victory. Now Peter, he's just told the Christians of the dispersion, right? That's who he's writing to. That's who this letter was written to. The Christians who were dispersed because of intense persecution. They had to spread out across and run away because they were being thrown into prison and being harmed because of their faith in Jesus. And he's just told them that it's better for them to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's what he said. It's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. And he tells them that as they're having a hard time, because they're doing the right thing, right? They're doing the right thing. They're doing what God says to do, and they're getting ridiculed, right? The people who don't follow Christ, they're making fun of them. They're, wanting to throw them, they're trying to throw them in prison. It's not going well like that for the Christians. And so he's telling them during this time, you've got to keep <clears throat> eternity in mind. Keep eternity in mind. That's what we talked about last week. Keep thinking about your eternity in heaven with Jesus. If you've put your trust in him, that's what you have to hope in as, as your future in heaven. And because you think about that's what's coming for me, that's my eternity, that makes it easier to think about the hard times that we face right now. I think this is only going to be a short time. It's a little bit. It's not that bad when we're comparing it to how amazing our eternity is with Jesus in the future. So he's talked about that, and he's looked at the, the example that Jesus set, and he said, the example that Jesus set when he suffered was he didn't hit back, he didn't fight back, he was patient, and he trusted God through it, and Peter's told us we have to do the same thing. 
All right, so when other people are ridiculing us, when we're getting made fun of, when we people are being evil towards us, we do not repay evil with evil. We don't do that. We look to the example that Jesus set, and we just trust God that he's in control. We trust him through these hard times. And so now what Peter's doing is he actually brings up the, the physical sufferings of Jesus, right? And he says that Christ's sufferings, the things that Jesus suffered through, right, his physical suffering and his death, this makes him the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Right? And so that's what he says. He, he says Christ suffered once for sins in verse 18. All right, so that means that Jesus, he suffered one time in order for sin to be forgiven. He died on the cross one time. Or he rose again one time, once and for all. Because he did this, sin can be forgiven. All of your sin can be forgiven. All of my sin can be forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. He suffered and he died so that we could find forgiveness for our sins. So the sacrifice of Christ, it took care of my sin and your sin once and for all. Once and for all, okay? So here's the deal. No one needs to think, I'm so bad, there's no way that the sacrifice of Jesus could cover my sins. No one needs to think, but, but you don't know me. My, I've done some really bad things. I've said bad things. I've done bad things. Are you sure that the one-time sacrifice of Christ is enough for me to find forgiveness there? Yes, it is enough. Once and for all, his sacrifice is enough. You can find forgiveness there in him. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation, it's really important. It's an important word. It means that Jesus took the sin of the world upon His shoulders. He, while He was on the cross, took your sin. And He took my sin. And it went on Himself. And God's anger towards sin, His wrath. The Bible says that God hates sin. And He's angry at it because He hates it. Because He's perfect. He's holy. So He is mad at sin. And when Jesus took your sin, your sin, on Himself, God's wrath, His anger was poured out on Jesus. <clears throat> and then His wrath was satisfied. Right? Which makes Jesus the propitiation for our sin. He is the one who stepped in between us and the wrath of God. Took our sin. Took the punishment that we deserve. And so that's the, the word propitiation. He took it for us. He took it for you. He took it for me. So maybe, maybe just for the first time ever, what, what you're going to do, what I want you to do right now, is I want you to think about this in a personal way. Maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you went through KBC and Edge, and now you're here, right? And you've heard the gospel over and over, but maybe you've never actually thought about it personally. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about all the sin that you've done. All the sin that you've done the last couple days, the last, the last few months, right? All the sin you did last year. Anything that you can remember that you've done that was sinful, that was against God's word. Think about it. And then think about what the Bible says. That Jesus took your sin. 
It says, he who knew no sin became sin. This doesn't mean that Jesus, his nature became sin. It doesn't mean that he did anything wrong, but he took on your sin. And he took it on himself. The things that you've done, the things that you've done and, and you deserve punishment for, he took that and he said, God, punish me instead of them. And he became the propitiation for our sin. He did that for you. He did that for me. That's what he's done. And Peter, he, he describes it as this, the righteous for the unrighteous. Who's the righteous one? Tell me. Jesus is the righteous one. Righteous means good. That means perfect. He never did anything wrong ever. But the righteous one, he died for the unrighteous. Who are the unrighteous ones? Us. You and me. The perfect one took the sin of the world on his shoulders. Your sin and my sin. And he hung on that cross. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. We are the unrighteous ones, and the righteous one died for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were still sinning, while we were living in rebellion against God, while we were actively, consciously choosing the sinful decision, choosing to sin, choosing to sin, choosing sin over God, while that was happening, Christ, the perfect one, he went to the cross and he died for you and for me. Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve. Look, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage means? You know what a wage is? A wage is what you've worked for. So if you get a job and it's a minimum wage job and you put in four hours of work, you earned your wage is four hours of that minimum wage, right? That's what you've worked for. So the Bible says is that we as sinners, we have worked, we have done sinful things. And so what we deserve is the punishment for our sin. That's our wage. So if God is going to be like the problem that we have is that God, we deserve this punishment. We deserve what we've worked for, the wage, so we've earned death by sinning. And the only way that we could be forgiven was to have the perfect sacrifice die in our place. Jesus, the perfect, the righteous one. It had to be him. The righteous for the unrighteous. I want you to make sure that you understand that this is what Christ did. This is what Jesus Christ did. This is what he has done for you and for me, the righteous for the unrighteous, the propitiation for our sin. He willingly took your place on the cross. You see that? Willingly. He, he willingly went, knowing what was going to happen, knowing the suffering, knowing the pain, knowing all of this was going to happen. He went to the cross and took the place of the unrighteous so that you and me, the unrighteous ones, so that we could experience forgiveness. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when you repent of your sin, when you put your trust in Jesus, the beautiful thing, the amazing thing about this is that the very righteousness of Christ is given to you and me. Right, the righteousness, the, the, the standard of 
getting into heaven, it is perfection. It is righteousness. So the only way that we can go to heaven is if, is if we have perfection. We understand that what Jesus does in this is he gives us his own perfection. He gives us his righteousness. When you put your trust in him, he says, here's my righteousness. I took your sin. I took away the punishment that you deserve. And I'm giving you my perfection, my righteousness. And so now when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin and and all that mess. He sees my righteousness, the, the righteousness of Jesus. That is what he's done for you and for me. And that is the only way that we can find forgiveness for our sin through Jesus, through his righteousness. The unrighteous are made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Peter says that he did this, that he might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. This means that before we put our trust in Jesus, there is a separation between us and God. Sin separates us from God. We are not united with Him. We don't have a relationship with Him. The Bible actually says that we are enemies of God before we put our trust in Jesus. And so Jesus did this. He died on the cross. He took the punishment for the sin that you committed so that He could bring us to God, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be with Him forever. And we can only come to know God. Listen. We can only come to know God through the sacrifice of Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can be brought to God the Father except through me. We've got to understand that that is the truth, that Jesus is the only way that we can have a relationship with the Father. And why do we need a relationship with God the Father? So that we can be forgiven of our sin. That's why we need a relationship with God the Father, so that we can be forgiven. And Jesus is the only way. Right? And, and Peter also says, describing Jesus, he says, being put to death in the flesh. That he was put to death in the flesh the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this is what happened. Jesus, his body, he died. He did die. There are people out there who will say he, he didn't really die. He, 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 was, he, was like, he was just knocked out and he got up and walked away. He's not really God. He didn't really, he didn't really raise from the dead. Well, he did die. His body died on the cross. They took him down. They put him in the tomb, the borrowed tomb, and it was borrowed because he didn't stay there. We have to understand that the only way, the only way that we can have forgiveness of our sin is if Jesus didn't stay dead. If Jesus had stayed dead, we would have no forgiveness. There would be no perfect sacrifice. There wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be able to be forgiven. But did Jesus stay dead? No, he did not. It says that he was made alive in the Spirit. And that means that the Holy Spirit revived Jesus, brought him back to life. So he died. He was made alive again by the Holy Spirit. And the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to listen to me. The resurrection of Jesus was the proof that God's wrath was satisfied. 
the resurrection of Jesus is proof to you and me that we can find forgiveness by trusting in him. Because the wrath, the anger, God's anger towards sin, it was satisfied through this. Right? That's why he said, it is finished. It is done. It is enough. That God's anger towards sin was satisfied. And if you will put your trust in Jesus, if you repent from your sin, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will find forgiveness there. Your sin will be forgiven there. And God's anger and God's wrath towards you, it's not coming for you anymore. Because you have put your trust in Jesus. You've been saved from this. He took that wrath. He took that punishment for you. And that's available to you if you repent from your sin and you put your trust in Jesus. That's the only way. And so Jesus, his resurrection is showing us that he is victorious. He has the victory over sin. He has the victory over death. He defeated Satan. Once and for all, he is defeated. Sin is done. Jesus is the triumphant one, and you will only find forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Only in him. Only in him. You can look other places, you can entertain other religions, you can think about this, think about that, but you're not going to find forgiveness of sin anywhere other than by trusting in Jesus Christ. So you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn away from the lifestyle of sin that you are living. You need to put your trust in him. You need to just, you need, the Bible says you have to confess and believe. You believe that what we've just talked about is true. You believe that Jesus is God and that he lived a perfect life and that, and that he, like he never sinned a single time and he went to the cross and while he was on the cross, he took your sin on his shoulders and while he was hanging there, he took the punishment for sin that you deserve and then he died and then he was resurrected. And because he's alive, you can find forgiveness and you have to put your trust there, that you trust him for eternal life. You trust him for forgiveness, not yourself, not your good works, not your parents, nothing else. You trust him. That's where you find forgiveness of sin. That's how you find the free gift of God, which is eternal life. It's through Christ and through Christ alone. So you've got to make sure that you understand this, guys. You've got to make sure... Look, if any of you, I want you all to look at me right now. If any of you have questions about this, questions about the gospel, you're not sure about what I just said, it doesn't make sense to you, then you come talk to me when we're done. You find your leader, talk to your leader. You talk to a leader, you talk to someone. But we've got to make sure that you understand this. Do not leave today if you have questions. Do not leave today if you're thinking, well, I think that I might be a Christian, but I'm not sure, I don't know. If you have questions, you come talk to us. That's what we're here for. Nothing more important than this. We're going to talk about a lot of other important things in the sermon. This is the most important. That you find forgiveness in the triumph, in Christ's triumph over sin. All right, so Peter, he has, uh, he's just said that Jesus was made alive in the Spirit. And so what he continues on doing is he, he continues talking about Jesus. He says more stuff about Jesus. And what he's doing is he's building up to make this really important point about baptism, all right? So here's the second point. Understand baptism biblically. Understand 
baptism biblically. We have got to make sure that we understand what is baptism, why is it important, what's it for. We've got to make sure we understand all these things. Because right? there's a huge misunderstanding about this today. We've got to make sure that we're clear. Right? Well, look, some of the most interesting verses in all of Scripture. These are some of the most interesting, and, and some biblical scholars will tell you that these are some of the most complicated verses in all of Scripture. Right, so we're going to read these line by line, and we're going to talk about what they mean. Right? And uh, don't check out. I'm sure that you're going to appreciate what we come to at the end of this. Okay? Well, I'm going to read again what it says here. It says this. In which he, he went and proclaimed to the, the spirits in prison. It's talking about Jesus, alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. All right? A lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff going on. And uh, a lot of different opinions about what this means. Here we go. Peter, what he's saying is that while Noah, right? He talks about the days of Noah, when Noah was building the ark, way back in the Old Testament days, Genesis 6, right? When this was happening, he says, while Noah was preaching to these people, well, he was preaching repentance to these people, it was the Spirit of Christ preaching through him, right? The Holy Spirit there preaching through him. So I want you to think about this. When God told Noah to build the ark, he says you need to build this because it's going to rain. The whole earth is going to be flooded and you and your family, I'm going to save. If you get in this ark, I'm, I'm going to save you like that, okay? And so Noah, it took him close to 100 years to build this thing. And so he's building this gigantic ark and all these people are asking him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? They're probably making fun of him. Like, what are you doing this for? And while he's building the ark, what he's doing is he's preaching to repent. All these years go by and he's telling these people, God's judgment is coming. You need to repent. You need to believe in the God of Israel or you are going to experience God's judgment. You're going to drown. And now this is really interesting, okay? Some people say that, up until the flood, it had never rained. It had never rained from the sky. Right? There's this verse in Genesis 2 that says that, uh, the, that it, it hadn't rained yet and that water would come up from below the earth and water the crops. Right? And the first time that we actually hear about rain is the flood. So there is a chance, I'm not saying this is 100% true, but there is a chance that it had never rained from the sky before the flood. And so what Noah is doing is he's telling all these people, if this is the case, he's telling all these people, rain's going to fall, water's going to fall from the sky. And they're going, you're crazy. That's not what happens. That's not how it works. Water doesn't fall from the sky. Like, that's not how it works. But he's saying, God said this is going to happen. This is going to happen, and it's going to be a global flood. The entire earth is going to be covered with, with several, so many feet of water. Like the mountains are going to be covered. There's no way you can survive unless you repent, and you repent, and you believe in God. And so these people, most likely, are just making fun of him. You crazy old man, keep building your boat. Water's not going to fall from the sky, blah, 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 blah. So while he was preaching repentance to them, 
And it says that these were the, the spirits in prison, meaning these people who, who did not believe in God, their spirits, their souls were in opposition to God, right? He was there. Christ was there. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit was preaching through Noah to these people, okay? So look, I want you guys for just a second to imagine that you were trying to convince the entire world that something that had never happened before was going to happen. The entire world is against you, right? It's just Noah and his family, the righteous ones that found favor in God's eyes. And they're trying to convince the entire world that something that has never happened before is going to happen. These people think that he's crazy. They don't believe him. They're calling him crazy, crazy, crazy. So look, I want you to understand this, that Noah had the faith to do what God said, even when it didn't make sense. He had the faith to do what God said, even when he was being persecuted. We're in this series talking about suffering. Noah understood how to suffer well. He was being made fun of and being persecuted, being ridiculed, but he just kept trusting God, kept working for God, kept obeying him, and that's the, the model for you and me. It's exactly what Jesus Christ did, right? We already talked about that, and that's what we need to do. Okay, so the ark, this giant boat, this ark that Noah built, God used this ark to save eight people from the waters of the flood. Noah and his family, eight people were saved because they got inside this ark. The waters came and they stayed inside with all the animals that were on the ark as well. They were all delivered through God's judgment. All right. And so now, after saying all that, Peter starts to talk about baptism. And he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. If you guys have grown up in this church, then you probably have a question mark in your brain right now. Wait a second. I've heard so many times that baptism, we're talking about water baptism here, doesn't save you. Well, you're right. Water baptism does not save. But we've got to deal with this. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when he says that baptism, which corresponds to this, what he's saying is water baptism, this, this, this baptism, okay, it's similar to what happened with Noah and his family in the ark. It's kind of similar. God, listen, God provided an ark he provided an ark for Noah and his family to get inside so that they would be saved from his judgment. And so Noah and his family, they went inside the ark. And God poured out his judgment on the wicked people of the earth through the rain, through the waters, the whole world around them. They all experienced the judgment of God. And the ones who were delivered, who were rescued safely from God's judgment, were the ones who got inside that ark. And God delivered them. So you see, they're in the ark. The rain is pouring, the water's rising, but they're delivered because God provided a way for them to be saved in that ark. Now, how in the world is baptism similar to this? Well, we know this. Baptism, water baptism... You get immersed in water, in, under, and, and back out. It's a symbol. It's a picture of what Jesus has done to your soul. It is a picture that when you put your trust in Jesus, your old self is gone. 
The sin is gone. It is forgiven. It is washed away through the blood of Jesus. And after you put your trust in Jesus, you're made new. You're this new creation. You're this new person, right? And so when you put your trust in Jesus, it's like this. Jesus himself becomes the ark of your salvation. Think about it that way. Jesus has become our ark. We put our trust in him. We are found in Jesus. That's, that's a, a scriptural phrase to be in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus. So when you put your trust in him, you're now found in him. And so when God looks at you, once again, he doesn't see the sin that you've committed. He sees the righteousness of Jesus because you're in him. Jesus has become the ark of our salvation. And now, because you are in Christ, you are inside the ark of Christ, you will be protected from God's judgment. And we know that God will not judge the world with a flood again. He put the rainbow in the sky as his promise, and now every time you see a rainbow, you can remind yourself God keeps his promises. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. So God's judgment will not come in the form of a global flood But we know that we will have final judgment when all this is said and done. And every person who's ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone who has put their trust in Jesus, every person who is inside the ark of Christ will be delivered safely through that judgment. You understand that? Because you've put your trust in Jesus, and Jesus took the punishment, he took that judgment for you and for me. If you find your, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're inside that ark, you're going to get delivered through God's judgment. Just like Noah and his family were delivered through the judgment of God in the flood. So baptism, right, it corresponds to this because of the picture. Trusting in Christ, the ark of our salvation the symbol. Now we have to deal with this, okay? Peter, what does he mean when he says baptism now saves you? I thought that baptism didn't save. I've been told that over and over. It doesn't doesn't save, right? Again, hear me say, water baptism, getting immersed in water, that does not save you. You do not find forgiveness of your sin because you got baptized. Peter, what he's actually doing here is he's not actually referring to water baptism when he says that word baptism now. He's not talking about getting immersed. He's talking about what baptism symbolizes. He's talking about what is going on. What does baptism symbolize? It symbolizes putting your trust in Jesus and having your sins wiped away. That's the symbol. That's the, the, the picture that it's painting, that we are putting our trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, getting wiped away. And so to make himself extra clear, right, he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, he's saying, look, it's not the physical act of getting in some water that could wash off the dirt from your skin. That is not what saves. What saves is when you appeal to God, right? It's this picture of appealing to God for a good conscience. This means you are asking God to forgive you of your sin. And you know, we've just established that the only way that you can have forgiveness of your sin 
is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, he died on the cross, he took the punishment for sin that you and I deserve, and that he was resurrected. The only way that we can be forgiven is if we put our trust there through the resurrection of Jesus. And so he makes it really clear, he's trying to make it clear, it's not just getting put in water that saves you. It's trusting in Christ that saves you. His that's the only place that you can find forgiveness is through trusting in Christ, right? So look, it's really important. It's so important that you understand baptism biblically, right? Many people get this wrong. A lot of people, a whole lot of people think that they will go to heaven just because they got baptized. That because when they were little, they got baptized. When they were a baby, they got baptized. Like whatever it may be, they think they will tell you if you ask them, if you ask someone, hey, why should you go to heaven? Are you going to go to heaven? And they say yes, and you ask them why, you're, you're going to hear two really popular answers. The first one is this, because I'm a good person. We know that's not what saves you. It's not your works that save you. It's not you being good that saves you. It's God's righteousness that saves you. We already talked about that. And the next most popular answer that you're going to hear is, because I got baptized. I know that I'm saved because I got baptized. And that comes from a misunderstanding of baptism. They think that because they went underwater that they're saved. That's, that's wrong, okay? There are entire groups of people who claim to be Christians even who are teaching that baptism saves you. There are people right here in our backyard across the street who believe this, who teach that baptism saves you, okay? There are... Um, a lot of college students in the bridge, the college ministry, and these students, they go to different college campuses twice a week to evangelize, to share the gospel on these college campuses. And lately, there's been this issue because there's this other group of people on the college campuses who are teaching everyone, if you want to experience forgiveness, then you just have to get baptized. This is happening right here at the colleges that are like right around us. Entire groups of people, and they say that they're Christians, they go to these campuses, and they're trying to get people to put their trust in Jesus or whatever, but they're not saying that. They're just saying, get baptized, get baptized. And so our people, our, our Compass Bible Church, our bridge students, are having to go and tell these people what they just told you is wrong. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. And these people are hearing about this. And this is this, this whole thing right now where there's like two different churches who are out there trying to tell these people to do things. And one is sharing the true gospel. That's our church. And this other group of people, they're saying, yeah, just get baptized and you're going to be, you're, you're fine. And so we have to make sure that as you guys are growing up, and you're getting older, and you're going to college, you're going to run into this. You're going to hear people say this. You're going to hear people say, all you have to do is get baptized, and, and God, God forgives you. That's it. That's it. But we know that we just talked about it. That's not the truth. The truth is you have to put your trust in Jesus. You have to put your trust in Jesus to be saved. And then baptism is a step of obedience in Jesus. Right, you get baptized, Jesus got baptized, and, and the Bible says to baptize Christians. And so after you put your trust in Jesus, you get baptized as an outward expression of what has happened in your heart to show your church family, right? to show people, I put my trust in Christ, he has cleansed me of my sin, and what you're telling everybody is like, I'm all in, I'm following Christ here. I don't understand that, that that is what baptism is. We have to understand it biblically, okay? Now look, maybe you're thinking, Pastor Jacob, 
I thought that this was a series about suffering and how to have encouragement. Like, what is all this stuff about baptism? How can that encourage me when I'm having a hard time? How is it supposed to help, right? Well, look, Peter, what he's doing, what he's wanting, is he wants these Christians to focus on the resurrected Lord. He wants them to focus on Jesus, the Lord who is alive, who was resurrected. He says, focus there. Focus on his power. And first and foremost, Jesus has the power to forgive. He has the power to save you from sin. He's the only one. So we're focusing on him for our eternity, that we've put our trust in him, and we're going to be saved because we trust in his work. That's amazing. we got to be encouraged in that because he's got the power to do that. But he also has all the power in the whole universe, not just the power to save, but the power over everything. He rules and reigns over everything. See, it says in verse 22, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This means that these things are subjected to him. This means that he has power over everything. That angels, authorities, powers, everything in the universe, Jesus is in charge of. He's in charge of it all. He's in control of everything. And he's seated at the right hand of God, right? It says who has gone into heaven. He was ascended. He ascended into heaven. That's what we see at the end of the Gospels or the beginning of the book of Acts. He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And he is ruling and reigning over everything. He has control over everything. He is reigning and ruling as the victorious, the triumphant, resurrected Lord. He has won. Sin has been defeated, and nothing will ever change that. No matter how hard your life gets, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord, and he's in charge. No matter how many people are making fun of you because of your faith in Christ, Jesus is in charge charge. He rules, he reigns over everything. And Christians, we should have confidence in this. We should be confident in Jesus all the time. So that's point number three. Have confidence in Christ because he reigns. Have confidence in Christ because he reigns. What could be more encouraging to the Christians of the dispersion than this? What could be more encouraging for these Christians who are experiencing intense persecution? What could be more encouraging for them to hear? That Jesus has the power over life and death. That if you put your trust in him, then you don't need to doubt that you, you are saved. And not just that, he rules and reigns over everything. He's in charge. He will always be in charge. That Satan has already lost. That I know it's hard right now. Here's what Peter's saying. I know it's hard right now. I know you're going through a hard time, but listen, you can be confident that Jesus is in control, that Jesus has the victory. This does not mean that all hope is lost. Just because you feel sad, you feel down, you feel this, all hope is not lost. Jesus is in control. Evil does not win. Jesus has already won. He has triumphed over evil. 
So it may be hard right now, but one day we will be with him in eternity while he continues to rule and reign over the entire universe. So listen, when you have hard days, when you make that decision to step out and to be vocal about your faith, and you say, I don't care what people say about me, but I'm going to share my faith in Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm not going to be quiet. When you make that decision and when people start making fun of you because of that, you've got to remember that you have no reason to shrink back. You have no reason to be afraid. You should not think, oh no, where are you, God? What's happening? God is in control. And Jesus is our strength, and we can always have confidence because of this. And we have scriptures like this, Psalm 28, 7. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. We can find strength in Jesus. He protects us, and it's because he is the victorious one. He is the risen Lord, the one in charge over all things. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. So you can be strengthened in hard times by remembering that Christ has the power over everything. So listen, just like a movie can be easier to watch because you know the ending. I'm telling you guys, we know how this life ends. Are we, not, we may not know the day that our life ends, that, that God will, will take us away, but we know how the story ends. Jesus has the victory. Nothing can change that. Nothing will ever change that. We can have confidence in that when you face hard times. Let's pray. God, thank you for these truths that we just read in your word. I pray that we would, first and foremost, that we would understand the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and help us to repent and put our trust in you. It's important that we understand baptism. We understand it biblically. Understand that it's not what saves us, that salvation is found through trusting in you and you alone. God, I pray that we would have confidence in you because you live, you rule, you reign over all things, and you always will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.